Hello and welcome to Kiwi Rider Podcast. My name is Ray Heron. Great to have you along. If this is the first podcast of ours you've listened to, then please do consider subscribing. Come along for the ride. This week, well, the Wellington train system is diabolical to, be, to begin with, but they've said that their machine is out of action, the machine that tests the tracks, and so all the other trains have to go slow. And this brings to my mind a question. Commuting. Do you commute by motorcycle? And if you do, why? Do you do it? I mean, I know when I first started riding motorcycles, registration was cheap. And so riding a motorcycle every day was a cheap mode of transport for me before anything else. This is before I rode dirt. This is before I uh, I had any thoughts of an adventure motorcycle. This is before I did any content of any kind, no podcasting, no magazine stories or anything. Then, of course, registration went up. And so commuting on a motorcycle wasn't so much a cheap motor transport. Sure, fuel was cheap, but you still had, you know, $500, $600 a year in registration costs. Nowadays, for me, commuting on a motorcycle is how I keep my sanity. You know? I could catch the train every day, but then I've got a half-hour walk from the train station to work, not to mention the 20 minutes from my house to the train station. And then in Wellington, the train system is unreliable at best. You never quite know whether the train's going to be too full, you won't get on, whether the train's going to run on time. You're going to be at work one day, you're going to have an earthquake, you know, not a massive one, but a minor one, and, and the, the train system's going to be shut down. Middle of winter, there's going to be ice on the tracks or on the power lines. There's going to be some kind of power cut, and your train's just not going to run. You're going to have to have that awkward conversation with your employer. Hey, I'm stuck on the train. I can't get to work on time. And then I've also personally, I've got, you know, a family. I've got a four-year-old boy at home. I've got a wife. I want to get home. I want to do dinner. I want to do storybooks. I want to see the boy before he goes to sleep. That's my own personal situation. But I invite you to let me know. You don't have to live in Wellington. You could be somewhere else in the country, somewhere else in the world. But how do you commute and what are your reasons for commuting like that? So I catch, I take a motorcycle because I can leave when I want. I can arrive when I want. I feel like if there's any uh, natural disasters, then on a motorcycle I've got a better chance of getting through uh, rather than leaving a car behind, for example. And especially on a, on a you know an adventure motorcycle, I, I reckon you know any slips on the motorway I could get through any crashes like as soon as you get a a bumper to bumper even in the opposite lane that's going to slow down traffic any given day and then if you get a crash in you know your side of the motorway that's really going to bring a halt to things quite quickly on a motorcycle you can lane split generally get past it and then fuel costs as I mentioned you know, I'm I'm spending probably thirty to forty dollars a week on fuel in a motorcycle. It used to be cheaper, obviously. Um, or in a car, it'd be like one hundred and twenty, hundred and fifty dollars a week in gas. On a train, I think a weekly pass is somewhere in the vicinity of eighty dollars. But yeah, eight dollars a day. My maths isn't fantastic. Just just made it to work. 
this morning and thought I would ask the question. Commuting, how do you do it and what are your reasons for it? Please send us a message on social media. We're under Kiwi Rider Podcast on all platforms, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And we've got a post up on the Kiwi Rider uh, Facebook page if you'd like to comment there as well. How do you commute and why do you commute that method? I'm picking that most people are going to say motorcycle because, you know, that's the uh, the topic of conversation of this podcast. But let us know. Love to have your thoughts. All right, let's get into the podcast. Time to jump in the top five. Top five this week brought to you by Protector Insurance, sponsoring this segment. I contacted Protector Insurance actually to ask what kind of insurance stats they could supply when it comes to motorcycles being stolen. And this is what they came back with. This is the top five places motorcycles are stolen from. And there aren't many surprises. If you want to know more about, you know, some ideas to keep your bike safe, then listen to last week's uh, top five. But this week, it is the top five places motorcycles are stolen from. And at number five, carports. Anywhere that you can't see the bike from, say, the living room of your house. If the thief thinks that they can't be seen, then they're more likely to steal your bike. So carports is number five in the top five list of places motorcycles are stolen from. And at number four, alleyways. You know, park your bike down a dark alleyway because you think people are gonna less likely to oogle it, steal it, touch it, tamper with it. Um, no, they're stolen from alleyways. You know, anything, anywhere in the middle of town, but like hidden away from the main street. Uh, and at number three on the top five list of places motorcycles are stolen from, driveways. Yep, people that don't put their motorcycle away in the garage or behind the house, they're stolen from driveways. Don't, don't, I had a bike stolen from a driveway actually. They rocked up in the middle of the night with a ute, uh, lifted the bike, put it on the back of the ute and drove away with it. How frustrating that was. So the top the five, the list of the top five places motorcycles are stolen from. And at number three, driveways. And at number two, car parking buildings. Especially in Auckland, people are rocking into car parking buildings and stealing motorcycles. I see Auckland Transport have uh, gone ahead and put uh, loops, bolts in the ground where you can lock your bike down to. So the top five list of places motorcycles are stolen from, from thank you very much, Protector Insurance. And at number uh, two was car parking buildings. And number one on the top five list of places motorcycles are stolen from. It seems anywhere... Lock your shit down. Put a GPS tracker on it. Make sure it's insured. And if you want to know the best uh, insurance, you want to make sure you've got the best insurance policy, the best wording, and uh, paying the least possible, go to protector.co.nz, get a quote, and uh, check it out. Uh, My bike, actually, the Tenere 700, is insured with Protector Insurance, which turned out to be cheaper than the previous three insurance companies that I have been with. So, protector.co.nz. That's the top five list of places motorcycles are stolen from. Thank you very much, Protector Insurance. Time to do the news, and this story came to you from onthrottle.co.nz. Harley's latest Milwaukee 8 crate engine is a 2.2-litre monster. Harley-Davidson has announced its latest Screaming Eagle crate engine for the Milwaukee 8 platform, which, uh, with the new anchor measuring in at a huge 135 cubic inches, that's 2,212cc for those of us 
with real measurements. Designed for the 2021 or newer Milwaukee 8 engines, the Stage 4 Screaming Eagle kit was developed in part by efforts of Harley-Davidson's Screaming Eagle factory racing team for their King of the Baggers road racing campaign and offers the most displacement and the most power ever created by Harley-Davidson for a street-compliant crate engine. Engineered and tested as a complete collection of high-performance components and assembled from the bottom up at Harley-Davidson Powertrain Operations, this street-tuned 2,212cc Screaming Eagle crate engine is designed to run with a wide-open throttle at high engine speeds and provide instant passing power from cruising speed. The engine delivers 193.8 newton meters of torque at the rear wheel at 3,500 RPM and 130 rear wheel horsepower at 5,500 RPM. That translates to approximately 28% more torque and 41% more horsepower at the rear wheel than a production Milwaukee 8117 engine. That, that power is achieved not only through the larger displacement of the 135, but also through a range of changes to the design of the Milwaukee 8 platform. Compression is bumped up from 10.2 to 1 to 10.7 to 1 thanks to new forged pistons, while the engine breathes freely thanks to a 68mm throttle body and matching CNC machined intake manifold, which is originally developed for the Bagger Race engines. The 135 utilises Screaming Eagle Extreme CNC ported cylinder heads, which help to provide significantly improved efficiency of cylinder filling leading to more explosive power and increased rear-wheel torque when compared to stock. High-performance valve springs remain a stable with the high-lift cam and in high-RPM operation. Being a factory-supplied crate engine, the 135 is designed to bolt straight into the chassis of the 2021 or newer Milwaukee 8-powered Harley-Davidsons with no special modifications and is also backed by a two-year factory warranty if installed at a Harley-Davidson dealer. Matthew Day Gillett reached out to Harley Davidson Australia and New Zealand regarding local availability and pricing, but with US pricing set at $7,999.95, expect to pay a hefty amount of Kiwi dollars if you want the heft of Harley Davidson's biggest crate engine to date. More information and some photos up at onthrottle.co.nz. KTM finally drops the 890 SMT details. After teasing us earlier in the year, KTM has pulled the covers off the new 890 SMT, which aims to be the undisputed king of the supermoto touring segment. Based on the 890cc LC8 platform and producing 105 horsepower and 100 newton meters of torque, KTM says the 890 SMT will fill the gap in the KTM lineup. Did we think there was a gap there already? That is unfulfilled uh, by the Adventure and Duke models. While appearing to have a lot in common with the 890 Adventure family, the SMT has been designed with road domination in mind rather than go-anywhere ability. Rolling stock is the expected 17-inch alloy wheels wrapped in sticky Michelin Power GP tyres, while the suspension, particularly the rear WP Apex shock, has been revised for more squat feel and excellent road-holding manners. Ergonomically, the SMT mimics the Adventure line with the 860mm seat height. However, this splits the difference between the two Adventure models as it comes standard as a single piece, unlike the Adventure R, but is of the more attainable 860mm height 
of the base adventure model. The handlebars fitted to the SMT have six different positions with 30mm of range movement, while KTM has also fitted the obligatory steering damper for those more spirited riding situations. In one of the biggest physical changes from the adventure design, KTM has redesigned the fuel tank, with the SMT tank being trimmed down to 15.8 litres, down from the 20 of the adventure models, with the new tank also shifting the SMT centre of gravity higher. KTM says this makes the SMT easier to flip from corner to corner than its adventure counterparts. Claimed economy is 4.6 litres to the 100Ks, so touring range remains acceptable at approximately 340 kilometres per tank with our rather dodgy maths. KTM has never shied away from adding rider aids to improve performance and the SMT is no different. Included in the electronics package is three rider modes, rain, street and sport, along with an optional track mode. Track mode allows the rider to either to further tailor the traction control, much like riders can do with the adventure models, through 10 steps of adjustment. Cornering ABS is also standard on the SMT, honouring its Supermoto heritage with Supermoto mode to allow the rider to slide the bike around uh, like a proper Supermoto machine. This is all controlled through the 5-inch TFT display, which also allows for connectivity through the KTM Connect app. The SMT will ship with KTM's controversial demo mode, which opens up the use of all the bike's optional features, including quick shifter, cruise control, and moto and motor slip regulation for the first 1,500 kilometers before the rider is forced to decide if they want to spend the money to keep the features or not. While KTM NZ is yet to announce local pricing and availability, KTM has already confirmed that the American market will not be seeing the SMT in 2023. More information and some stunning photos of the KTM SMT uh, is up at onthrottle.co.nz. And that wraps up the news. Well, they say the day you stop learning is the day you die. They say you never stop learning, and if you think you've stopped learning, you're wrong, and you've got something to learn. And today, I learnt something. So, let's wind the clock back. My mate Todd, he's uh, off to Australia, moving back there with his Tiger 800, and so he's cleaning out the garage, and he gave me a few things. He gave me a hydraulic jack stand, gave me a wheel chock stand, and he dropped them around the other night, and I'm thinking, oh, might as well try it out. So I picked up the T7, and I put it on the hydraulic jack stand, and I jacked it up and I was actually surprised at how solid it was and I'm like oh yeah great this is going to be awesome and those times that I need to work on the bike take the wheels off and that sort of thing outstanding so I was I tested the bike and I was like yeah no that's that's solid and something in the back of my mind said yeah you probably better not leave it on that stand for a long period of time it's hydraulic it's probably going to sink but then I ignored that little voice in my head and I left the bike in the garage and I went upstairs. Came back the next day, bike's still on the stand. Sweet, no dramas. The next day, today, two days later, 48 hours, I come down to the garage, open the door, and the bike's on its side. Yep, the hydraulic jack stand, it uh, sank over time, and the bike fell off. And being an adventure bike, it's got bars, you know, it's no drama, you would think. But it's uh, if it fell on its side on flat ground, it, you know, it probably would have been fine, but it didn't. It fell over on my water blaster and has now got a nice big crack up the uh, right-hand side panel just below the tank. <laughs> so disappointed. 
and now I am talking to all the Yamaha dealers trying to find a new panel. Uh, I could probably plastic weld it. It probably, you know, to anyone else, it probably wouldn't be a thing, but to me, it's kind of annoying, and it's worse because it's my own fault. So, um, what did you learn today? Don't leave your bike on a hydraulic jack stand without something to lock the stand up because it's going to sink, your bike's going to fall over, and you're going to have a bad day. There's my learnings for today. And that pretty much wraps up the podcast this week. Thank you so much for listening. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button. And if you want to give us some feedback, we're all ears. You can get hold of me. You can email me, podcast at kiwirider.co.nz. You can jump on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, under the name Kiwi Rider Podcast. My channels, MotoNZ, MotoNZ.com, MotoNZ on YouTube, almost up to 1,000 subscribers and a new video every week. Matthew Day Gillett's onthrottle.co.nz and onthrottle.nz on YouTube. He's got a new video up almost every week. And the magazine, Kiwi Rider Magazine, is absolutely free for you to read and enjoy and download. It comes out twice a month. Go to kiwirider.co.nz. Otherwise, my name's Ray here, and thank you so much for listening. This is Kiwi Rider Podcast. Maybe see you out on the road in the next few weeks. Hey, got a, some got some cool stuff coming up. Otherwise, keep the rubber side down, throttle on, and we'll catch you in seven days' time. Yeah.